God will provide for us above, beyond, and in spite of our expectations. What does that mean? Well, look at this. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What we're talking about is we're talking a God, a deity, a person who created, the person who created us. We're talking about this being who sacrificed his own son, the person he was supposed to love the most, for each and every one of us. And, the Bible, and Paul looks at it and says, how can you think that God who did this would not also provide for you in every aspect of your life? The Bible says that God has made us joint heirs with Jesus in our share of heaven. He's given us joint heirs in creation. Romans 8, 15, just earlier in this chapter, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That term, Abba, Father, is, literally means it's you calling God Daddy. Lack of a better term, it's as a child to their father. It's their protector. It's the person who keeps them safe. It's the person who provides for them. And that's what that word, Abba, Father, means. It's a personal term that God has for us. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. You see, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what goes on in our life, the moment you got saved, you became a joint heir with Jesus Christ. What that means is you are, you are going to inherit everything that God has to offer. Put it in legal terms, if you have a parent who has land and wealth and everything, and they were to pass away, you would become an heir to that, and you would inherit every blessing that that parent would pass down. And God has promised us the blessings of life through this. Now, I'm not trying to speak about a prosperity gospel, follow God, and everything's going to be easy, because we all know life is not easy. That's why I use that term, in spite of our expectations. We have expectations that God's going to provide in certain ways. We have expectations that we're going to live life a certain way, that life's going to go according to my plan, that God's going to provide according to what I feel like is right. But so often God decides to change up that plan. But God still provides even though your expectations aren't met. Whether the loss of a family member, whether the health crisis, whether a financial crisis, anything that happens, God is in complete control of, and God's going to provide in spite of that thing going wrong. You see, God decided that we, after we're in Christ, are fit to the same inheritance, the same blessings, and the same identity as a child of God. We're no longer bound by sin, shame, or the baggage of our past. We are liberated and given a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19 says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we, have been, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. This is important, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
If you look at that term for become new, it's a, it's a present active. It's something that happened, but it has continuous effects. And every day we are becoming new. That's the process of sanctification. We often see it's not something that's going to happen once. It's something we have to surrender to every day to become new. And you see, our position gives us the motivation to change and become more like Christ. You see, we're no longer in bondage. We're free because of God's blessings in our life. But look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? And who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Such an interesting question that he poses. Such interesting questions. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? What Paul is asking here is who's going to convict us? It's a legal term. He's, he's putting together a courtroom drama and he's saying someone's going to come in and who can come in and accuse us of something? Because it's Christ that defends us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that justifieth. A simple definition for justification, what we talk about, is just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. What that word justify means is it means God no longer looks at you as a sinner. He looks at you as someone who is perfect because of Christ's sacrifice. And now we all know that we skew that vision with our sin, right? Our sin can muddy God's vision of us, but that's where confession comes in and we restore that relationship. But who can convict us because Christ defends us? You see, no matter what happens or who brings a charge against us, Jesus Christ is our defender. Jesus is our savior. Your past doesn't make you guilty. Your mistakes don't make you guilty. And you are no longer on trial because Christ has taken the place for those sins and mistakes. Psalm 103, verse 1 one of my favorite passages in the Bible is, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thy diseases? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction? Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's? The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He maketh known, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sin, nor has rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You see, it means this. It means God gives us liberty to move on from what the devil and people's opinions and attacks say about us. That's what it means. It means we're no longer held bondage by people's opinions of us because of our past. It's no longer people can... People can't hold anything on, hold anything against us because Christ forgave it all. And you see, Paul answers that again in verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? Because it is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Look at that verse in verse 30, 34 again. Who is he that condemneth? He can stop with, it is Christ that died. But he continues, yea, rather he rose again. Not only that, he's even at the right hand of God. Also, he's making intercession for each and every one of us. He goes on and stair steps these ideas to show that God is in charge and Christ is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Not only are we freed from the punishment of sin, but we're justified from those sins. Like I said earlier, we're made righteous in God's eyes, which frankly are the only eyes that matter. They're the only eyes that matter when it comes to us. We should should strive to be good people. Yes, we should strive to live by the word of God. By the end of the day, the only person's opinion who matters on how you act is God Almighty. Now, that should motivate motivate us to act in certain ways, absolutely. But it's also saying this, that the world has no handles on you. They've got nothing that they can pull you down with. Just as the first part of the chapter says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So we see, who can convict us? No one, because Christ is defending us. Who will condemn us? No one, because God justifies us. And then there's another passage, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, separation from God is an ultimate failure. Separation from God is something that I... I never want. I was talking to someone today about, they were talking about salvation. They were asking me, well, if someone gets saved, but they keep doing the wrong things in their life, are they going to go to hell because of that? No. Once saved, always saved. God gives us a choice in how to live. And nothing can separate us from that love of Christ's sacrifice. But here's the question I would have for that person Why would you want to live contrary to what Christ has said? Because he gave his all for us. What's the motivation behind that? You see, the question, what can separate us from the love of Christ, is answered in amazing fashion in the next few verses. And I'll put it simply with one word. Victory. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one, because we have victory. It is this, God gives us victory to keep going even though we're fighting against the current. How many of you have ever been swimming in a river? Raise your hand if you've been swimming in a river. You ever tried to swim against the current? That's the Christian life most of the time. That's the Christian life most of the time. The Christian life is not going with the current. It's not letting it, it's not the lazy river or up in Steamboat, they have the Yampa River, and it's one of the best, best rivers to go tubing on. It's not like that at all. The Christian life is going against the current. It's having things trying to push you back and push you down. But you see, because of what Christ did, we can have the victory over that and keep moving. Look at verse 36. That is, as it is written, or who shall, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
He references an Old Testament passage in verse 36. He says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. This is a direct quote from Psalm 44, 22, which says, yea, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You see, the Roman church was suffering persecution at this time. The Roman faith was persecuting Christians by the dozen. They were looking for them. They were going after them. They were, they were harboring much content for them. And the church had gotten into this negative mindset of we're nothing but sheep for the slaughter. And Paul references that. He kind of throws it back at him and says, this is what you're saying. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But then he finishes it with this. Nay, that means in no way, not at all. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In no way, through all these things, that's the persecutions, the tribulations, we're more than conquerors. More than conquerors, you're more than just a warrior in a fight. You are a victor in this life. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see, true victory comes only through trusting in Christ. You're struggling with the sin? Turn to Christ. You're struggling with anxiety? Turn to Christ. You're struggling with depression? Turn to Christ. You're struggling with some sort of addictive behavior? Turn to Christ. Because only through that will you have victory. And you see, victory is eternal. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, his victory is eternal. For I am persuaded, I'm convinced of, without a doubt, I know this. That nothing will separate us. Not death with all of its terrors. Not life with all of its ailments and trials. Not angels or principalities. This is talking about the supernatural in power and both knowledge. Nor powers. That's our human tyrants. That's a pretty impressive one for us. I think we can get really sidetracked and give human authority a lot more power in our minds than we should. We can get to the point in a country like we're going right, like our country is going right now, we can say there isn't a whole lot of hope. But there is. We can get to a point where we start saying there's not a way that God's going to use this for anything good. He just needs to start it over again. But this is a God who created heaven and earth. It doesn't really matter to him who's sitting in the White House. His power isn't determined on who gets elected this November. Because he's going to be the same God no matter if we're a red state or a blue state. And we often give the political figures a lot more power than we should. But we see that it doesn't matter because those powers cannot separate us. Things present, that's the things crashing in on us. Things to come, those are our fears that we're worried about, the anxieties of the future. Nor height, nor depth, 
any physical space, nothing can separate us. And just to capstone it, Paul says, or any other creature. Paul doesn't miss a single thing. He goes through this list to encompass everything about our world. And what he's saying is nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Who shall lay anything to the charge? It is God that justifieth. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And so we get this, we get to this point where we start thinking, we start letting our society define us or our problems define us or people define us. We get to this point where we start thinking, you know, I'm not a good person for this. I'm, I'm struggling with this, but you have to realize that God died for your sins. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to be better, but what I'm saying is it's not something that defines you. Your sin is secondary now. Let God run your life. We see what is the thing that is weighing you right down, that is weighing you down, that you need to let go. What is causing you to forget who you are in Christ? What are you letting define you? Question comes, are you sure that you're in Christ? This is something we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. The last two Wednesday nights, I've looked at counseling certain issues, and I said this last Wednesday, the most important thing a person needs to realize if they come in for a counseling session is, one, are you saved? Because if you're not saved, sin's going to abound. So if you want to see life start to get, get better and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your sa- as your Savior, today's the day to start. I'm not saying life's perfect after that point, but it gets a lot better. And here's why. You can fight your battle alone, and you have all, of, you have all ability to do so. But I'd rather fight it with the King of Kings on my side. And that's where we come to, and victory can only come through accepting this, that we're fragile and weak. That we can't do it on our own. But we have to realize that through Christ, we are capable of victory. I'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us a motivation. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. You have the victory, so now be steadfast. Be firm in what you believe. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I was talking to someone today and they were struggling with this idea, like I said, about 
Well, if you're saved, but then you start doing wrong things and you start going down a path and sitting, are you still saved? And yes. But here's my answer to that. Once you're saved, you have all opportunity to go and do whatever you want. God gives us free choice even when we're saved. He's not going to force you into a mold. He's not going to force you to do something. You can go and be as reprobate and sinful as you'd like to be. But here's the difference. The person who is serving God with their entire life will one day stand before the God Almighty. And the person who gets saved and then decides to live their life however they want, they will stand before their, their, that God. I want to enter heaven knowing my God said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. My first image of heaven, I do not want to be. I mean, you're saved, you're in. But disappointment. You see, we serve a God who loves us. We should be serving a God who loves us. We should be doing everything we can in our power to honor God. Because one day we'll see him. And I want him to be pleased with who I was. Don't let the world define you. Let God define you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us, dying for us. Thank you for bringing this out tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're all out early tonight. You're welcome.